Yo, Peter, Peter, Peter. Yo. I'm trying to haul a, a piece of the phaser cannon assembly. We've got to get it to the uh, port side aft immediately. We've got to get this bad boy installed. I need, I need your help, man. Oh, yeah. I heard about those phaser cannons. Well, hey, look, man, I'm glad you're here. Le I got something really important I got to show you. You're not going to more crazy. important than the aliens that are trying to murder us. Come on, man. Let's let's get let's get on this. Oh, yeah. Those guys. That was a lot of turbulence when they were shooting us. It almost messed up my thing. I want to show you. Look. Look at this, man. Check this out. Is that it? Is that like a little plastic ship inside of like it's it's wood. It's it's a wooden ship and I'm putting it together inside of a glass bottle. You know, Jacob Carrier over in engineering. He showed me he like he does these things and I think I'm getting the hang of it, man. Like, look, it's got a little sail and a rudder. Peter, you do realize that the entire ship has been under attack for days by these extremely distressing looking aliens that apparently you know, they scanned Johnson down the hall and he was in a coma for like two days. Yeah, but look, Johnson's an asshole. Check it out, man. On the front, there's like a mermaid and she's got boobs. And I painted them with a little tiny paintbrush that I put in. Peter, you're not going to see boobs ever again if these guys show up and blow us up. We need to get this thing installed. Reed is being very British right now. We need to get this done. You know, and that's funny you mentioned the British thing, because I think this is actually like an HMS vessel. Of, was, that, was that the, the those old Peter, water? come on, man. Do you honestly believe that anyone, anyone on this ship, let alone an officer, would be focusing on some sort of trivial nonsense bullshit that has nothing to do whatsoever with the death-defying urgent needs that we have right now to not get blown up or murdered or dissected or whatever it is by these hostile aliens that we can't fend off until we get this weapon put together? Come on, man! Gosh, Joe, you know, you're right. This is like life or death situation and how selfish of me to be fucking around with this ship. Like, you're right, man. I, I, I'm sure that nobody on the bridge would be fooling around with such trivial pursuits like worried about bristle hair brushes or, or or birthday cakes or other nonsense like that. I better pull my head out of my ass and get in the game so we don't get murder fucked out here in the middle of space. All right, let's do it because everyone is clearly on the same page. Trying to find that secret ingredient to put in the special cake that we're baking just for you. It's Vidra, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I'm also a birthday boy. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> is, it your, is, it, is it your birthday today? No, it's going to be Monday. It's the big 4-0 coming to get my ass. Holy shit. Yeah. I, I knew your spring birthday. I forgot if it was now or... In May, but here's the trick. Here's a pro move. Uh, I had a kid. I I planned out the humping. Actually, my wife did, so the baby would come in on my birthday uh, and steal the birthday from me. So I will be 39 forever because now the baby owns the birthday. Although she was the weekend they couldn't deliver C-section, whatever. So my third's actually born on uh, May the fourth, which perfect for the father who has a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. 
you know, the medical professional that your wife is was able to like figure out, like I just see her with like a, like a dry erase board, like doing the math, you mm-hmm. know, like trying to figure out the humping math, like dry erase boards, charts, and a lot, a lot, a lot of P strips. Uh, when you've got someone who's trying to do business with science and get pregnant, there's a lot of P strips. It's gross. Well, we're done with that, I think. But anyways, I, yeah, I got, my baby came in and usurped my birthday, so I will be 39 forever. I'm pleased to report. Listen, I am told by reliable sources that our 40s are our new 30s. It sounds like a lie that people in their 40s tell each other. Yeah, well, I tried playing that card earlier today, and uh, someone close to me said, well, that's not what someone would say who gets excited about fixing the gutters or pressure washers, which I'm recently guilty of both. So I, Dude, I think it's Okay, stupid. no, hold on. I don't know about cleaning gutters because I'm not a heights guy, but pressure washing a deck is amazing. And this is our Star Trek Boomer podcast. I don't think we can really (laughs) claim any affiliation with millennials or anything like that. I was born in 82. What year were you born? I was born in 83. I'm only only about 18 months behind you. Yeah, Post Gen X, but too old to be a millennial. Now, just chalk us in with the fucking boomers, man. A man who is not a boomer is is the talented gentleman who we've never explicitly shot out, uh, sh- shouted out. And it is Kevin, who is responsible for all of the key art for our rebrand of the show. So the album cover, the banners, uh, the, that cool mission patch, the mission patch logo that we use for our social media groups. Like he made all of that and it's spectacular. And I, I liked how all it all turned out. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned him on air because we just never did. So, Kevin, thank you so much for all the work that you did. And if anybody is ever sitting there gazing at our podcast cover art and it's like, wow, I need some of that in my life, hit up Joe and we can probably point you in a direction. Oh, yeah. We will gladly give this man work. He deserves it. And speaking of men who deserve to work. Oh, man, that one did not work. That was, you know, my transitions are not bad, but that was terrible. But what was not terrible was this week's episode. And uh, what was it? Season one, episode 12, Silent Enemy. We're looking at a premiere date of January 16th, 2002. Kind of fucked up. I'm like, wow, that wasn't that long ago. No, that was 20 years ago. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Written by Andre Boramis, directed by. Rick Colby, interestingly enough, when I look at the uh, other information I have here, Robert Duncan McDeal's got some directing credit on this, too. So I don't know what's going on there. Really? Did he maybe like do some sort of reshoots or inserts, maybe? I don't know. And, you know, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil is a very fond opinion of Rick Colby. I think there was a great deal of mentorship there. And I think uh, McNeil did a lot of shadowing under him. Uh, back in the Voyager days. So maybe there was like some some helping hands here. Uh, I think this is the last episode of Star Trek that Rick Colby actually has a hand in directing. This episode, I think, is dominated by one very weird choice as to the A plot versus B plot choice. Um, this episode's fucking insane. It's it's pretty crazy the way that they structure it. I like the A plot and I like the B plot, but the concept of the A plot and B plot being in the same episode is patently bizarre. 
It's the stupidest thing since the Neelix Cheese episode, which was Space Friendship is Magic. That was the season one finale of Voyager that should never have been the fucking finale. And it wasn't supposed to be. It's it's a mystery why it was. But that's where Tuvok's trying to like lead people through Starfleet boot camp. Meanwhile, Neelix poisons the entire ship with cheese and it's going to blow up. And these two things seem to exist in completely separate realities. Divorce, but, but they do that. The difference is they eventually merge in that the cheese creates the hazard that allows the Maquis trainees to like come together as a team. Yeah, right? but like, like the rest of the episode, everybody's got their shirts off, they're sweating fucking like buckets, and oh my god, you know, environmental's off, and this and that. And then they cut over to goofy hijinks of jogging through the the cargo hold or whatever, and everybody is completely agnostic of of any inconvenience to the rest of the ship i'm saying that even in space friendship is magic there was more coherence in the choice between the a plot and the b plot than there was in this episode but again both parts are are good i just don't understand why they decided both of them should happen at the same time the coolest part of the episode is the beginning and we've got a exterior slope, not slope, and we've got an exterior tracking shot of uh, the underside of Enterprise as a hatch opens and it drops out a cylinder that becomes unfolding. And we see Echo 2, which you may recall from our previous, was that the last episode or was that two ago? Two episodes ago, um, we saw that they were using the transponders that they are now in fact putting out in this episode space trucker justice that is correct which would explain why all of a sudden archer is able to have real-time communications with admiral force so uh, they shot these things out of order whatever here they are creating the backbone of the starfleet subspace communications relay and it's cool stuff Right. But what an excellent little detail. They're farther out than any human ship has ever been. So we got to start laying down communication buoys so we can actually talk. And of course, it's going to provide a network for future ships that explore out in space to be able to use. Fantastic. Great, great color. Side side note on this, right? So at this point in our timeline, Enterprise has not returned to Earth or as I can see, any real resupply facility yet. They are still flying with the exact same material that they took out into space uh, in Broken Bow, which means that uh, for all the systems that are not in line from targeting sensors for the torpedo launchers to, as we will focus on in this one, uh, phasers, uh, they did actually have the subspace uh, buoys loaded up and ready to go. So this was this was part of the Enterprise mission is to begin establishing the subspace communications network. Yeah, but a lot of the plot of this episode has to do with what level of preparation Enterprise really was in complete in when it left. But one of them apparently was that they had these buoys on board. And it makes sense that it was be part of their mission, right? Like naturally. And I think the drama of the a plot really is a reckoning to something you and I have commented on in the past, which is boy, it seems like they really rushed themselves into this unnecessarily. What is this? And it's the show actually taking a second to reflect on that. 
which is like, yeah, we should probably have to justify this at some point. Let's do our favorite thing. Let's flip back to Voyager. It wasn't until night that the show finally had the self-awareness to look back at Janeway's actions and stranding the entire crew in the Delta Quadrant that they really pause so she can reflect on what she's done and it seems to have some sort of gravity uh, on her. Uh, We're only episode 12 into this series and already the writer's room is acknowledging like, yeah, you know, we've got a lot of goofy plot hooks we've built in under the auspice that the ship wasn't quite ready to go. And now's a cool time for Archer to have to sit there and face the facts and see that he has very recklessly endangered everybody's life with uh, the choices he made. Now, that's one way of looking at it. Hey, you know, had we not done this stuff, um, Debo. Yeah, Debo would be dead. Can't have that. But at the same time, like they got to Kronos in three days you could have just zipped home and, you know, finish bolting the tires on and made sure you had the spare in the trunk. Install the, the weapons, maybe. <laughs> like, Make sure all the door handles are on and that, you know, the radio and air conditioners have their knobs. Like, we'll, we'll get into that. And it's stuff we've already joked about. And sure, you know, you, you got to build these things in to keep the plot interesting. And I'm, for the record, happy for them to have built in plot devices like this from circumstances in the um, the pilot as long as it's accompanied with a cohesive storytelling experience where they, like we're seeing here now, reflect on the past and, and we get some sort of good scene out of it. The teaser involves them laying the buoy and then a ship rolls up, doesn't talk to them, and then leaves. Badass looking ship, too. Yeah, very uh, like predator looking type of vessel, like kind of Romulan. Yeah, it's got that uh, green accents of the Romulans. And I'll tell you what else. It it holds true from Borg to Romulans and anyone else. If your ship's got green lights, you're a baddie. So these guys don't do anything at first except show up. Our mysterious can't be scanned and leave. Everyone comments on this, including Archer, who's like, is it something I said? You know, he makes the joke. Uh, but you know, to Paul's like, you know, not everyone wants to talk. They smelled, they, they came over like a dog. They smelt your butt and they left. Like, that's a, you know, sometimes that happens and they go back to business as usual. Uh, when Hoshi gives the captain a bit of a sigh and says, you know, I've, I've continued on my secret mission and I've found them and who they are is revealed in the next scene to be the parents of Malcolm Reed. So last episode was kind of the Mayweather episode to figure out. I'm sorry, two episodes ago, that would have been the space truckers uh, justice. We we really had a chance to learn about Mayweather. This one uh, reads under the microscope. And what we're going to get is a story that doesn't really talk about who Reed is, uh, but kind of an examination of what he is not which I think is an interesting way to go about it. I thought it was interesting in the sense that this is a real thing where, you know, they work with Reed a lot. They see him every day. They don't know anything about him. You know, that's that line actually comes out of Archer's mouth. Like he's kind of, well, we'll we'll get to in a second, but Archer has a conversation with Reed's parents because he's just trying to do something nice for him. He's like, his birthday's coming up. I want to, you know, make sure that 
whatever his favorite food is, we make for him because it's, you know, I'm trying to have this nice gesture for one of my senior officers. I don't know. I don't know Reed personally quite very well. So I will ask his parents. Clearly his parents will know. First of all, his parents are the most British people on the face of the planet. Yeah, they, they got a little boy, actually, uh, that is their nephew living under the stairs, and they treat him very poorly. Yes, until Hagrid shows up. Absolutely. And they, you know, like, right down to Reed's dad being, like, kind of dismissive and disdainful of his his choices because they weren't exactly the choice that he would have made. And very imperious while his mother kind of like bites her tongue in the background and is slightly embarrassed by how incredibly British her husband is. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was just perfect. It was perfect. But they don't know. They're like, he just eats the things we gave him. We're British. We don't talk about the things we like. Liking things isn't British. Be gone. They like, he ends the call. This longest phone call in the history of humanity is to these two. And they're like, literally, he hangs up on them. Like, we've had enough of this discussion. Good day. By the way, you guys are in the Guinness World Book of Records now. Like The B-plot of this episode is, after this conversation, Archer going to Hoshi and saying, I can't believe it, but they didn't know. You need to figure this out. This is your job. You have to figure this out. And Hoshi is like, are you serious? I'm, I'm a serious space professional doing communications work. I need to focus on that. And Archer's like, tough. You're, you're doing this. <laughs> and she pouts a lot in this episode. It's like, all right, fine. I guess it's kind of a good episode for Hoshi as well. And it's been a minute since she's really been in the spotlight herself. So, I mean, I'm a big Hoshi fan because she is the most normal space person in all of Star Trek. Like she is just, she responds to things the way a normal human being would in ways that other characters within the Star Trek universe seem incapable of processing things. And I like the idea of that. She's been given this job to figure this out. And it's very frustrating because it, Malcolm Reed apparently is a fucking alien. <laughs> you know, like that in, in the way that no one fucking knows anything about him. And it starts to piss her off. Like it's a little <laughs> early in the Starfleet game. So I'll give him a pass, but uh, I, I would say if this kind of thing were to come up, in 24th century, if this was a, the Enterprise crew or Voyager, I would be criticizing them for not at least giving serious consideration to is this guy a fucking imposter or some sort of shapeshifter or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the back of the neck. Check the mm-hmm. back of the neck. <laughs> yeah, uh, I this this reminds me of something. So there is a long held fan theory that Hoshi and Archer are exes that their entire vibe and how they're very personal with each other. And she does not like really respond to him and though as an authority figure is that and the reason why that she wound up still going on this mission is that they used to be a couple. And I don't know if you like, if you think that vibe is there or not, I was I started looking for it, but I mean, she has been incredibly, he takes a different tone with her. Uh, when she ha- needs her her pep talk in uh, the Sluggo Space Slug episode, and yeah, she does not really seem. I mean, nobody really seems. Reed is the only person who shows any display of military decorum at this stage. But uh, yeah, Hoshi really does seem to go above and beyond. Just yeah, I know you should be the captain, but I'm just going to talk to you like I'm talking to my neighbor at any given moment. 
Right. And and that everyone gave the the impression of like they have a history together. Like they must have a personal history together for her to just disregard that she like and, the, any kind of decorum with him. You know, and jumping back to Broken Bow, the fact that she's almost willing to just be like, well, you know, I told you I'd do this thing, but it's finals and I have to grade tests. And if you're going to jump it early, then, you know, just go ahead without me. Cause like, it, this is certainly not my fucking dream to go out into space and talk to Klingons. Like you, you sweet talked me on it before, but uh, I can take it or leave it. I don't care. So the B plot will continue throughout the course of this episode. I can't even call it a B plot, man. Like there's more ground and screen real estate given to this fucking birthday there's- dinner. There's jokes. There's there's all sorts of comedy beats and everything. There's like there there's two straight up comedy scenes that come out of this, and it is in the backdrop of the a plot, which is going to be that these aliens that they encounter return for for round two and start fucking them up immediately and are clearly a danger to their continued existence. Like, that is what happens. That is what's so mind-blowingly crazy, is that Hoshi's plot continues throughout the course of this episode without without pause, without comment, to the, the imperiled circumstances that they find themselves in. What? It, it's insane. And also Hoshi, it is! Who, who is the most... Grounded, all that stuff you just said about her was true up until this episode. She freaked the fuck out in the uh, Space Spider People mm-hmm. episode. What was that? The Sluggo episode, yeah. The, uh, oh my the God, bar- I don't want to die. I'm so scared. I saw dead bodies, blah, 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 blah. Oh, here they are, you know, standing on the edge of annihilation by a technolo- vastly technologically superior foe who just their scans put people in like comas and shit. And she doesn't even say boo about it. There's no, no. Oh my God, we're going to die out here. Uh, I need to call my parents and tell them I love them or any of that Harry Kim stuff. It's just like, gosh, I can't figure out what this guy likes to eat <laughs> the whole time. It was. I, I know that they wanted to do the plot because this is, as you said, the Malcolm Reed episode. So they're they're talking, they're trying to give you an idea of how much of a sphinx this guy is. That he's very guarded. That he's very British, <laughs> and there is it's hard to get to know him, and that nobody on the ship does, and that doesn't that kind of it bothers Archer. So he's making these gestures. It's why he puts Hoshi on the case. And at the same time, like, you know, even Trip has his interaction with that where he tries to, you know, accommodate, you know, Reed's attitude about things. And so they wanted to have this like personal plot where you saw like that Reed was like this with literally everyone in his whole life. Right. And I get that. But the idea that this stupid B plot that one that's stupid. This stakes free B plot occurs, <laughs> you know, because it's not stupid. Because if you did this in the episode where they're drilling on the fucking asteroid, it would have been perfect, right? Like that. This is where that belonged is on when there's no stakes, you know. 
you could have put it there. You could have put it with uh, civilization. A- any, yeah, breaking the ice is really where it should. And also, too, that would have really fit with that little entendre. It could have been a triple entendre of breaking the ice. There's a lot of places you could have fit this. I want to look at the what we've gotten up to Enterprise at this point. Twelve episodes in. I'm not saying I dislike them, but I am saying that there have been a lot of textbook definition boring episodes. All right. It hasn't hit a low like we've been talking about, but they haven't been very high either. No. And and again, I. It's a lot of C plus material for whatever the fuck's going on. And, and what you and I are doing is unnatural. This show was never designed for or Voyager was never designed to be picked apart at a molecular level and have a 45 minute television show uh, be mercilessly dissected by an hour-long podcast of guys sitting here with fucking internet web pages open and, and really splitting hairs on this stuff. Um, but for what you and I are doing, I have enjoyed it. We're fans. Um, we're in it for the long haul. And there's plenty of content for us to sit here and talk about. But if I'm looking for something to do with an hour a day and I'm making a point to watch this TV show whenever it comes out, I'd really have to be sitting there scratching my head saying, what the fuck are they doing? Had the stakes not been so radically different on the other side of the plot coin where Enterprise is about to be blown up and everybody, I don't know, butt probed into a coma or whatever the fuck happened. This would be like at least four super textbook boring episodes. Out of your first season before we really, really have like super high investment in these characters. I could also see a sh- episode like, well, I don't know. I guess this is why this it. show withered. I mean, you are describing exactly the reason why this show's ratings withered from the start. I it wasn't terrible, but it did not engage you. Th- this isn't a TV show we're watching. I feel like we are. It's a visual adaptation of novels. Shit like this would be perfectly at home in some sort of book that's catering to a certain subsection of the audience that is into slow paced slice of life. Uh, early years of Star Trek stuff um, that that's fine and dandy. That's great. And I'm enjoying it. But then saying, hey, we're going to put a huge budget behind this thing and try and turn it into like. The vanguard of Star Trek and instead destroy the entire franchise with it. So the, the A plot. To return to the real focus of the episode. I did like that Reed's, uh, we we find out that his grandfather was also an armory officer who served in the Royal Wet Navy. Yes, and that apparently the seagoing navies of Earth were of at least some prominence within the last couple generations still. So like starships were, were not yet really the thing. And that would have been, what, 40 years prior, 50 years prior? Well, let's do the math on that. So his Archer's dad seemed to grow up in a relatively normal environment. Cochran was still alive. So how, <laughs> going back to what's a bigger mess, World War Three or time travel, was was Reed's grandfather involved in World War Three, or would he have been serving on that ship in whatever the ash and remains of earth where was he in like some sort of like mad max ish navy this goes back to the conversation you have i had i think just last week 
about what's more fucked up time travel or the pre-Federation timeline of Star Trek. Little time travel here, matter of fact. Hard to know, right? Like, Mm -hmm. good question that will never be resolved. But what is resolved is that no one knows anything about Reed. Hoshi continues to talk to his sister, who also doesn't know what he likes. Alien imposter. And has a hilarious conversation with his his best friend, apparently, who leading Hoshi down the path where she's finally thinks she's onto something. She's like, finally, I'm going to fucking answer this question. Okay, he likes fish. Mahi mahi, trout, salmon. What the fuck is it? It goes to fish restaurant. You love to go to the fish. Tell me more fish, fish. And he's like, and she says like Martha or something. It's like, is that a fish? I don't know that fish. What is this fish? He's like, no, it was the name of the waitress. He wanted to bang her. I think he hates fish. <laughs> that line killed, man. That was like, I actually was like, ah. like that was perfect. It was just the ti- timing was great. Here's the deal. Uh, Reed's a 007 and all of these people are fake. Reed is the first member of Section 31 and they're trying to scratch too deep into a backstory that was just created on paper. Peter. I know. I'm sure we'll get into Section 31 because we always do. Peter. But- Three years from now, there'll be a moment, and you'll know it. Just leave it there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the the A plot is that the aliens come back. They are, by the way, some pretty gnarly looking fucking dudes. Rad, see- right? This is section yes. or species eight four seven two done right. Yeah, like these guys look very threatening. They are. They eventually, they, they attack the ship. They just are absolutely, Enterprise is no match for them. Like, they've been no match for literally everyone that they faced except the Nausicans. And they, like, beam themselves on board or board the ship and, you know, anally probe two crew, crew members. And they come upon them. And they are these gray, tall, XCOM 2 version of the sectoids. Yeah. Maybe a little with, Mars attacks in there. With, yeah, a little Mars attacks, like this weird suit with, like, an energy shield around them. They look and, like a, a head, but all the bone and skin has been taken away. So it's just like a free-floating brain and eye stalks. It, it, they are fucking nasty-looking pieces of work. And very threatening based on visuals alone. Because these guys never talk directly. And they are going to do whatever they want to Enterprise. To the point where they, they, there's an, a distinct impression they are toying with them a little bit or at the very least testing them on purpose for sport in the course of dealing with this archer resolves after a, a, i think a pretty frank conversation with Paul about like yo was it like this when your people decided to explore space because this is fucked up everyone we meet wants to fucking kill us this is this is not cool decides i gotta fucking bolt some more weapons to this bitch so uh, i am going to install our prototype phase cannons and i don't think these aliens ever get named in the show i saw memory alpha they get actually pulled out in the fucking mmo or something of course i don't know allied with romulans and i saw something about emperor silas <laughs> oh jesus the yeah. mmo is like uh, on a, an entirely different level you know, yeah. And if you're out there playing it and having fun, good on you. But I'll tell you as a outside observer, what the fuck? Um, I like the fact that they are so 
difficult to understand. And they call attention to that in the episode. You know, a lot of times, hey, here's the new dog people of Korath or whatever. And wouldn't you know, they kind of act the same as Earth people. And you can see all the normal tropey shit that, you know, here's the big bad. Here's a gullible lieutenant. Here's the fucking the dark chick, whatever. Even species 8472, you could look at, well, prior to them going on the big holodeck training infiltration thing where what was that one? That was a good one for Chakotay. Back when they were just crazy zealots out to destroy all life. Yeah, they were still Robert Beltran as a sex machine is what we called the episode. I don't remember the name of it. That's all only part that matters. Beltran sucks. He does. Hashtag. So these things being so incomprehensibly alien and, and almost insectoid, I really dug. I also like the fact they never really explain anything and it's just like that was some fucked up crazy space shit and we better get ready because there's going to be a lot more. So that's all cool. Then we fold over to Archer, who is reflecting on his past decisions. And it turns out he's starting to have a little change of the heart. You mentioned it at the top. It's probably good that they decided to have this reckoning relatively quickly and acknowledge the in the face of all of this stuff that has continually happened to them, that it is happening, right? Like this, this, like you said, was a sin of Voyager was to ignore it for so long and for have to Archer have to, to face that and talk about it. Even if, you know, he gets a pep talk from trip pretty quick that like, no captain, you're clearly been correct all along. And, you know, we all decided to be on this journey to, accept the risk in being here. It was good to hear him vocalize all of the obvious things that needed to be vocalized. I rushed us out here. I am responsible for us being unprepared in these circumstances. I bear responsibility for that because I am driven by the path pathological need to deal with how I don't like the, the Vulcans and how they've held us back. Like good. Yes. Acknowledge these issues. And then we'll get completely satisfactorily answered, but at least they're acknowledged. Well, that one part where he's like, no, Captain, everybody's behind you. And, you know, buck up, sailor, because look at all the other pioneers in human history. And you think, you know, we all knew that we were going out into a dangerous thing. You think the astronauts who got up on those rockets, uh, you know, cared or, or do you think they just shot for the moon? Like, uh, dude, I don't know what they told you about human history, but like, if it's a fucking cloudy day, they said, nah, we'll try again tomorrow. Like you could have picked anything else from human history and said, you know what? We, there was just a fuck it. Let's do it. Attitude. Except the space program. Yeah. I mean, they certainly were doing wild shit that never had been done before. And there's inherent risk in that, but they definitely maximized their chances. They made sure all the hubcaps were installed and yeah. the doorknobs uh, and that the, the air conditioning valve covers were there. Like that was all meticulous. Yeah. So, the things within their control, they did their best to control. They just realized there was a lot not under their control. This was like, you just didn't bother. Or you decided that the imperative to go out there and do the thing was more important. And it's not. Here's the answer to everything I'm about to complain about. And it's it's a TV show and they need to have plot. But that being said, it was a three-day trip to Chrono. So they could have came back three, day, three, three days later, uh, you know, said goodbye to their kids. Everybody could have got a proper send off. There's a really cool part in here where trip apparently has a girlfriend that has never been mentioned before. And 
Uh, I'm guessing while he has not mentioned her to anybody else, he has probably not talked to her, obviously, because they don't have the subspace relay. So she dear John his ass and broke up with him. And he's like, you know, I would have like to be able to say goodbye in person. And I'm sure there's a lot of people on the ship. Or he's relieved that he doesn't have to explain how he got impregnated. I mean, there's there's that. Sure, yeah, I didn't mean to cheat on you. Spared spared him that awkward conversation. Yeah, who would have thought that, you know, dipping my hands in fucking crystal meth was actually sex? My bad. So home base was a couple days to get back. We can say, all right, well, we're already out here. We're doing it. Fuck it. We're going to go forward. Uh, They had never mentioned phasers prior to this point. And there's a pretty cool, like, weapons briefing meeting where they're like hey we've got all these hard points for the three super weapons that we should be toting around out here that we never bothered with i'm going to go back through the episodes we're going to count how many times enterprise has gotten its ass kicked you ready all right so last episode was a cold front i don't think there was any space fights there no that was internal space trucker justice fort fortunate son that's where they're fighting with the nausicans which they seem to kind of have a leg up on the nausicans so we won't nausicans were the only time they were good yeah uh civilization they got their ass kicked by the lizard people they did breaking the ice they got their ass kicked by that hill that uh mayweather slipped on that's true yeah so we're at one ass kicking so far and dorian incident had no ship to ship stuff we're at episode seven terra nova no ship combat there uh, unexpected Klingons would have certainly kicked their ass, but I don't think I'll count that as an act of engagement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, strange new world. That's the no, no space fight. Fighter flight. That is our spider space. people. Mm-hmm. They get their ass kicked twice in that, I think, because the, the spider people and then like the original victims kind of shoot on them, too. So that's a solid one, if not two. And then Broken Bow, they get their asses kicked by the Salubians a couple times. That is three. correct. So, so that's three times in 12 episodes. And we can actually go and like look at the dates and say how many times have they gotten their asses kicked in like real earth date time. I would say after the first time you got your ass kicked and found out you're wrapped up in a temporal war, you'd be like, we need guns at work. And especially after fight or flight, when your fucking rockets just bounced off the hull of the bad <laughs> As they fucking laughed at you and said, we're going to drink you through a straw. Yeah, like that is a sign. It's time to get the guns working. We are going to literally eat you. Did not phase <laughs> Archer. And it's not until here we're like, damn, we just got boarded. And and I know they showed like blinky flashy lights that the. Uh, what are we going to call these guys? These scare the, the sectoids. I like sectoids. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sectoids. I know they showed the sectoids like scanning, but what what's flocks? Like they were quite rigorous in their scans. Like those crewmen got butt fucked. There was <laughs> they anally probed those guys into comas on the floor. Yes, it was not a good time. They're laying on the crewman Johnson is like staring into the ceiling in the next shot when they're in sick bay and he is contemplating every moment of his life that led him there. Like the things I have experienced now for Starfleet are not worth it. So it's not until anal probes that Archer's finally like, you know what? We're loot. We're taking a lot of L's out here in space and somehow we still haven't blown up like even after the fucking lizard men, like turn this shit around and go get some real guns, especially if you were supposed to have them coming out. So they start by going back to Jupiter station, which is, you know, something that they all resist for 
spiritual reasons, I guess. They but, know it's like the space truckers that Jupiter station never takes care of business. They never balance the weight right. And they always fuck stuff up. Jupiter station's the worst. We're two so, out of five stars. So they discuss, I mean, they don't even have sharp batlets for sale at that. At, at that. <laughs> I mean, they don't know anything. <laughs> so the, the screen machines are always broken. Yeah. It's just bullshit. the worst space truck stop you can possibly go to. Fuck Jupiter station. So they elect to try and install them themselves to see if at least they can make some progress. And after they start that process, and they're warping back, is they get attacked again. And when they get attacked again, their warp drive's knocked out. Now they're a shit's creek. And they Archer finally goes to contact the Vulcans to bail, like, please bail us out, Uwu. Big and, deal. And he goes to do it. And that's when they find out that these guys blew up their subspace relays and now they're fucking stranded now they're really screwed as soon as the decision's made hey we need to go get our fucking guns um trips like well we don't got to go all the way back to jupiter station we've got the stuff here we we've got the one prototype we can fabricate the other two we're just as good as that and, and we don't need to bother with the, the trip and Archer's like, uh, yeah, fuck that. That's going to avoid the warranty on the ship. We're going to go back to the Apple store so they can do this thing the right way. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, come on, Captain. He's like, well, listen, you can do the groundwork, but we, we still need to, to do this the right way. So there is framework there to get these phaser cannons operational. And also, too, like, I would have appreciated it if for the past four or five episodes, ever since the last time Enterprise got its ass kicked, if Reed was like, Captain, please let's install our guns so we have guns because the torpedoes <laughs> might as well be like kazoos we're blowing on. Nobody, they just yeah. laugh at us. Sitting on this for this long, it, like you already kind of laid out that it's kind of weird that it took this long for Archer to be resolved. But the fact that that they were sitting at least one of these that they could have installed all these weeks that they've been rolling around in space, like, let Archer why be like, didn't no, you do it? it's a peace mission and there's bigger repairs that need to be done and we one need to get line. the subspace yeah relays. that's it there's one line to say no we don't want to be you know putting ourselves in a position where we look like we're an armed gunship meeting new people we want to have minimal weapons here's my hubris is that I thought this could have been purely peaceful but no now I have to face the music and we need to be real. And I do need to dedicate ship's resources to our cool guns after all. So they get fucked up the second time they board, they anally probe. And now their only option is to get these fucking things online as quickly as possible and be prepared to fight. But, you know, while that's happening, we've got time for our B plot. <laughs> Clearly, right? Like, oh, she's got nothing else to do. I've been so excited talking about this life and death situation and space guns and all this other cool stuff. But yeah, please take us back over to birthday cake. So Hoshi, having exhausted all of her communicative options and trying to find out what what food this strange British alien likes, she decides after getting advice accidentally from T'Pol to just ask him. And you get your second comedy scene. And where Hoshi goes down to the the mess hall, sits down next to, to Reed, and starts engaging him in a conversation to try and get him to theoretically have dinner with her so that he will accidentally reveal 
what his favorite food is by basically prompting the question is her tactic, right? Is I need to know what this guy wants to eat. So I'm going to go down and I'm basically going to put him in a social position where he'll be incentivized to tell me. And it's, it's played for last because she is clearly flirting with him on accident and doesn't realize that's what she's doing. And Reed turns her down. And Meanwhile, <laughs> through all of this, Reed is existing in the A plot, which is we are going to die and everybody needs to do everything within their ability to get these fucking guns up. So he is kind of just ignoring everything she is saying. Here's my question to you. Have we seen a single mutually consensual and enjoyed conversation in the mess hall yet? Because it seems like every time people are in the mess hall, one person wants to talk to someone else who does not want to talk to them, usually to Paul. Hari Krishna aliens showed up last week. Oh, and were the they first, eating it, it, when they showed up initially and came to the to the mess hall? Everyone was having a good time talking. Side note on the mess hall, which, as best I can tell, is at the front of the ship. It's it's cool to see the windows in the mess hall are these little bullshit oval windows and everybody absolutely loves them and just looks out them as much as possible. And then you contrast that with 10 forward or even the mess hall on Voyager, which had floor to ceiling windows that nobody could possibly ever give a shit about. And we're all just completely blase to the splendors of space. It, it That is a good point that like first there isn't many windows on the ship. So they are precious material in that respect. And second, that they are all awestruck that the fact that just in space to begin with, mm-hmm. and it has become boring bullshit a couple hundred years later. Yeah. Like who cares? Yes. There's space going on out there. Who gives a fuck? Whatevs. <laughs> no, no, I like that. But yeah. So, you know, Hoshi's in the B plot. So she's like flirting against a brick wall. And it, I like how the, the it builds to like to the point where Hoshi's like literally inviting him like, yeah, come to my quarters. I have a hot plate. I have a hot plate in my quarters. <laughs> like and then finally reads like, no, I'm not. Hoshi, I'm not going to bang you. <laughs> it's not professional. And she's like, ah, Jesus. Fuck. Never mind. You fucking a- crazy alien man. He does Just- come off as kind of a psycho this episode, by the way. Like he. Uh, and we'll so, so flipping back over to the a plot. Uh, Reed is super gung ho about all this because finally mm-hmm. guns. He's gonna matter. finally get to fucking shoot someone. He is this, super into it. This dude's got gun fever. And for a lot of you people who listen to us and you live over in Europe where you don't have um, guns provisioned in a bill of rights, if you if you don't live in a country like the United States where. There are some people who I would call gun fetishists. We know them. Uh, you don't understand that these people are real. These people are like, ooh, I get to bust out the hardware. Well, yeah. I mean, just even regular old regular old people, like, I, I've fallen victim to gun fever. And you just slap yourself on and be like, Jesus, what am I talking about? That's fucking $1,000. What craziness has gripped my mind? That's what Scott Reed right now. He can take he can taste 
those the that deuterium or whatever the fuck the gun's made out of. So I don't I don't care if that's going to cost me two hundred dollars to go to the range. I want to break this nine <laughs> mil in, man. You What's know, I fifty caliber or two dollars a bullet. <laughs> fuck it, I need to shoot this gun. Get get that Desert Eagle over here. Um. So he, despite his his Britishness, right, which would make him. F- stereotypically i suppose feel very by the book and prim and proper uh that's not reed reed is basically hot wiring the power system so these phases are going to be like shooting impulse power out of them and trip finds out what's going on he's like this is wired wrong and trip who's like florida man and this is like the the, the crazy m night Shyamalan moment of this episode we find out that trip is <laughs> super by the book and Reed is actually the careless hillbilly who just wants to blow shit up. <laughs> it's true. It's like they had a brain swap. This is definitely not. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, of all the gun fetishists in the United States, I would say 80% of them live in Florida, boys. Like, I don't know how to tell you. That is where they all are. Because Florida doesn't it only makes two things, oranges and machine guns. All right? That's it. That's their exports. But yet, in this circumstance... Roles are reversed. Trip is the responsible one, but it sets him up to have his moment with Reed after he gives Archer the big pep talk to be like, okay, Reed, I have to take risks too. I just literally preached this to the captain. So I'm going to take a risk with just getting this shit to work the way you want it to work. So let's do it. They go to test them. They accidentally blow up an entire mountain and like blow up a whole bunch of power relays. And, they show and, a lot of caution on where they're going to test the weapons. None of those fucks were shown whatsoever when they were testing the torpedoes. Oh, that's right. On those asteroids. Yeah. But I thought it was cool that, you know, Archer's like, I want to be absolutely certain. And again, this is the formation of Starfleet, mm-hmm. uh, the protection of life and not endangering other less developed species in your pursuits to save your own ass. I want to make sure there's nothing down there that we're not going to vaporize amoeba that could be joining us up here in the stars in a couple millennia. It is uh, the Genesis Project justification, if you remember that from Star Trek 2. And they find out that the weapon blows up the whole mountain because the 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 sectoids put like a device on their ship just to fuck with them. And so Archer monologues about how, you know, fuck you aliens, we're humans, goddammit, and we're going to defend our ship and we're going to we're going to get down with you. And sectoids, by the way, don't have transporters when they boarded. They basically got a very Orville looking shuttlecraft into the shuttle bay, went out, butt probed some people and then got back and then like, I don't know, left a weather station or something in the shuttle bay to cause problems. Before we have our final confrontation, we have the end of the B-plot, which is Hoshi having failed with Reed's parents, sister, best friends, spinster aunts, like it flirted with him personally to try and extract information and failed, turns to Flux and is like, Flux, help me, help me solve this problem. Pretty please. Does some pouting. And Flux is like, well... There is one indicator in his medical history that would uh, provide some information. And that is, he has got a lot of allergies. But one allergy that he has, that he takes medication for, that would otherwise be unnecessary, is for pineapple. (laughs) 
You must love something a lot if you are allergic to it and are willing to take meds to still consume it. Flox also says Hippa Schmippa. Yes. He also has a great line in this exchange where he says, medically speaking, there is no accounting for taste. Yes. That was was a good EMH. Yeah, it was good. It was a good zinger. Uh, We we return at last to the reason we're here, (laughs) which is aliens that may show up and and annually probe everyone into comas. They shoot the phasers. Good effects, by the way. Like the effects of all the space effects were pretty good in this episode. And uh, they kind of don't do much to the shields, do damage to them, but clearly not enough juice behind them. So they figure out that they can superpower the phasers into another like, you know, like hyper move. You know, use all of their use all of their 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 level three super bar from getting their shit kicked in. Fire the big fireball, and by like using all the pieces of the ship to basically absorb the blast, they'll not blow themselves up to knock out the the shields on the other ship that allow them to fire their dinky torpedoes and and wound them enough to deter them. <laughs> uh, it's cool. It's yeah, no, cool. that's it, a cool yeah. fight. The effect of the thunderous phaser blast coming off the ship, they made it look like this is overcharged phasers, right? Like, that effect was very well translated into what they put on screen. The nozzle's broken. Too much is coming out. Yeah. There's a really cool part where the sectoids had taken a video message that Archer sent them and, like, re-spliced it together to, like, use Archer saying words uh, so he said, you're we are defenseless surrender and like spams that a couple times almost as like a fuck you. So the sectoids can't communicate with the humans. And this is this is how they're communicating. Now it's like this predator just splicing audio and video file together. That's what pisses off uh, Archer. He's like, all right, turn that shit off. And then they get in the fight. So they hammer them. The sectoids fly off licking their wounds Yet again, very lucky for Enterprise that none of these people that they cross fight and uh, barely escape with their lives ever have the common sense to come back and finish them off. In this case, they've wounded them enough that it seems like they got the worst of the exchange. Sure. So like in this case, I think it's justified. They're like, oh, fuck, fuck. We're out of here. (laughs) We were fucking with these guys, but apparently they have some fighting them. Uh, We out. Uh, and then you get a wrap up scene where they're like, hey, let's have some beers. Let's relax. We're Drinking on the it. clock, chilling out in the gun room, basking in our, our gun fever. And what should happen? But Hoshi finally shows up with a cake. Happy birthday, Malcolm. He slices it open. He's like, pineapple. How did you know? And Hoshi's like, I spent the entire B plot figuring this out while you were saving the ship. Why did the fuck do you think I know? The you end. got da- the, the da- <laughs> I went to sick bay and you got doxxed. I see you got the clap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cl- chlamydia? How did you know? <laughs> oh, it's cool. like penicillin, my favorite. Yeah, good thing you didn't. I, you, Hoshi's like, Whew, good thing you didn't take me up on trying to sleep with them for that information. <laughs> Gross. Oh, gosh, she's got fisherman's mouth. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, that's the end of that. It, it like the A plot's good. The B plot's fine. They just don't belong to be in the same episode. It is just batshit how these two are married together. Hoshi might as well have been on a different show. <laughs> like, she's yeah. doing fucking sitcom fucking beats while the ship is in mortal danger. It's not, not totally consistent at all. You but... have a silent enemy 
that they cannot bridge a communication. Maybe or doesn't want to even talk to them. Like they, it, at, at some point, like they they did open up uh, comms and they got blasted. Everybody's like, "Oh God, my fucking ears!" Like, oh, and they just assumed it was like an auditory weapon, which I think was a silly conclusion to make. So, so your archer, your subspace communication network has been crippled. You have an enemy that you cannot communicate with because the translators don't work. You have the best translator communications officer in Starfleet. Do you have her try to fix the communications network or decipher what the message was that the aliens had sent to you that made your ears hurt? Or or do you make her figure out what flavor of a cake to make the guy who should be working on your guns? They tied up the plot at the end because they talked about how they're going to lay down new buoys because they had to go towards Earth to go back to Jupiter Station. So they closed the loop on the communications thing well enough um there's like all the details we used to fucking bitch about all the time in the voyager they actually did a really good job here with they just also managed to put you know fucking oil and ice cream together and you're like what is this these things are born <laughs> together <laughs> this is not okay all right man uh we're going into season one episode 13 next dear doctor and there's flocks uh talking to some dudes the crew discovers a new planet with two races, one in desperate need of medical and scientific assistance. In course of trying to help, Dr. Fox recalls his own Denoblian past to address the ethical dilemmas that arise in the present in uh, what I assume is going to be Star Trek Enterprise versus the American Insurance System Part 2. I think this is going to surprise you, actually. It's a very, very good episode. It's flaw- It's the big flocks episode right we're doing these one episodes where every member of the cast is kind of getting their 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 chance to shine right and this is this is flocks's and well, I think superficially be- i'm seeing uh what was the one where the emh gave uh that one dude aids oh no yeah from seventh season yeah like it's not that it is not a it is not um uh, hmos suck <laughs> <laughs> which they do which the absolutely sure. Yeah, you can look back at our our catalog. You'll see no. You'll know see that which one that is. Mm-hmm. Most do mostly no harm is what we called it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to Vija. Please. We deeply appreciate your continued time and attention. In fact, thank you to all of you who have come along in the last couple months. Apparently, are hungry for an enterprise show. Uh, we appreciate all of you as well. We see you out there in TV land. And if you would like to be part of all our groups, either in Discord or on Twitter or in Facebook, just let us know. We'll happily include you. Hit me up at Twitter at Vija, please, uh, or at Facebook at Vija, please, or at Gmail at Vija, please, at gmail.com. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. See you next week. 